0: Welcome back. I'm Peter St. Ange. This is a weekly roundup of my daily videos on the economy and freedom, where I try to cut through the BS and the smoke and mirrors and lay out exactly what the clowns are trying to do to you and what is coming next. I'm also active on Twitter and Substack, so I hope to see you there. While governments are not famous for honesty, these past few years have been a masterclass in economic gaslighting, a clown parade of lies. On inflation, first it was transitory, then it got a downgrade to temporary. Finally, with inflation hitting 8.9% last year, Jerome Powell gave up, admitting with a sheepish grin that, quote, we now understand better how little we understand about inflation. Now, you might ask why we didn't shut down the Fed at that point. Next, the gaslights moved on to the economy. First, Joe Biden told us it was strong as hell while munching a waffle cone, the media helpfully added. Then the downgrade to a possibility of a slowdown. That too became, quote, a path to a soft landing, courtesy of Jerome Powell. Now, Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsbee, a former Chair of the CEA, the top economics post in the administration, recently admitted, quote, we are trying to figure out where we are in this business cycle. So for those following along at home, they don't understand inflation and they are trying to figure out the rest of the economy. Well, the economy did figure it out, delivering a 2008-style bank collapse combined with 1970s inflation, which is now turning into 1970s stagflation, all combined with levels of household and, of course, government debt that we have not seen in almost a century. If that is a soft landing, I would hate to see what's hard, a meteor strike perhaps, a nuclear war not as far-fetched as you might think. Finally, there is good old Janet Yellen. With major banks falling like dominoes, Janet reassured the American public that, quote, the U.S. banking system remains sound. In fact, she said this while she and Jay Powell were setting up literally trillions of dollars in bailouts, the biggest bailouts in U.S. history. And finally, just the other day, Yellen produced the master rug poll after spending months denying that de-dollarization is even happening, a conspiracy theory even. She casually mentioned in congressional testimony that not only is de-dollarization happening, it is, quote, only natural that it continue because the world is big. Half the time, our leaders do not understand what they're breaking. The other half, they do understand, but they are lying. Then, when they're caught, it is either sheepish grins, how little they understand, or... It's only natural. I've got an article on this on profstonch.com, but the problem is that every time they lie, millions of people believe them. I mean, you and I don't believe them, but most Americans are still bamboozled by the jargon, the PhDs, the almost religious trappings of the Federal Reserve. Even the so-called experts believe them, and they, too, get burned. The entire U.S. banking system, for example, walked into a trap set by the Fed, reassuring them that inflation was transitory, that any rate hikes would be calm and measured normalization was the word of the day, all very calm and gradual. In fact, the Fed sucker punched banks with the most savage rate hikes in 50 years, gutting their balance sheets and sending them to insolvency. In the immortal words of Otter in Animal House, you screwed up, you trusted us. Normal Americans, of course, did even worse. Had they known banks were going to collapse, had they known credit would dry up, had they known their job or their company would be sacrificed for the Fed's inflation, they could have prepared. Instead, they get lies until it breaks, and then they get lectures how it was only natural all along. Yesterday, I talked about the parade of economic lies that wrecked the banks and are now wrecking regular Americans who actually thought policymakers were telling the truth. So why do they lie? The key is that policymakers know they're lying. Literally, the Fed openly, even proudly, bundles it into, quote, forward guidance where they try and deceive people into thinking the numbers are better than they are. They do this because they hope it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If the plebs think inflation is transitory, maybe it will be transitory. Maybe businesses won't raise their prices to cover higher costs. Maybe workers won't ask for a big raise. Or if they convince the plebs that the economy is doing just fine, maybe it will do just fine. People won't save. They'll keep spending like there's no tomorrow. Businesses will not build up reserves. Of course, as I wrote in the newsletter, this deception leaves people completely unprepared, at which point those same leaders pretend to sheepishly admit they were wrong, that they'll go fix the model so it doesn't happen again, when in reality, they lied, and they'll lie again. It is literally policy. This systemic deception is a key part of the Keynesian playbook, where anything is possible if you just deceive the people. In their minds, economic failures, like inflation or recession— are largely psychological phenomenon to be compounded with yet more psychology. In other words, lies. The boom-bust cycle itself becomes, quote, irrational exuberance or animal spirits, a kind of mass delusion that the grown-ups at the Fed correct like rebuking a child. Anybody who points out the emperor has no clothes, that maybe things are bad, is attacked as a conspiracist or even blamed for setting off. The inflation or recession they did this to trump in 2016 when the economy was slowing they did it to george w back in 2000 remember last year jack dorsey saying we're headed to hyperinflation and he got savaged as for the banks there's an infamous 12 minute video from last year of ftic commissioners actually laughing how fragile the banks are and how this must be kept from the public One commissioner said, quote, the public has more faith and confidence than maybe the people in this room do, to which the others literally laughed. The commissioner went on to note that a, quote, select crowd of of institutional bankers will, quote, find a way to understand this, but the general public should not know. So, no, they are not trying to protect you. They are trying to lie to you on purpose. And they fully intend to keep lying. Because the lies are the duct tape and bubble gum holding the whole thing together. Their only hope of pulling off the impossible, like, say, printing one third of all dollars without causing inflation or banning entire industries, including energy, and then rebuilding the entire economy on unicorn farts. So how to fix it? Simple. Fire the whole gang. Restore the separation of economy and state that built this country, that made America into the model for the world. Revive the pre-FDR Lochner era when economic rights were co-equal to political rights. So you could work for any wage, you could sell any product that didn't hurt consumers. Back then, we had no need, had no use for leaders whose only talent is how to break things and lie about it. Every time governments screw up, there is an army of propagandists in media and academia ready to spin it as an indictment of free markets as yet another reason we should hand everything else to government so they can break that too. Last weekend, economist John Cochran unleashed a brilliant essay skewering a long screed from the New York Times, arguing that everything that's gone wrong these past three years from shortages of toilet paper and face masks to lumber and baby formula to inflation or recession, have proved that free markets are broken and governments need to fix them. By the way, you and I don't care about the Times Trotskyite navel-gazing, but sadly we must care because the Times is the leader for the rest of our bootlicking media and academia. It calls the tune, which then comes for us. Cochrane kicks off that as bad as all these things were, they were all precisely... Because government broke every single one. So price controls and rationing, licensing and incompetent gatekeepers who blocked entrepreneurs. He cites examples of face mask startups shut down by the FDA or one company that tried to import masks from Europe but was stopped because they didn't have FDA approval. They had Europe's FDA approval, but not this one. Same story in baby formula, where Americans had to go to Mexico to find shelves full of baby formula that could not be imported because the FDA is a jealous master. So the government should have gotten out of the way, and it did not. In fact, he makes the excellent point that stockpiling, rarely used medical equipment, like billions of masks, we need approximately once every 109 years, is precisely the kind of thing we all thought public health officials spent their billions on. Next up is pinning income inequality on free markets that, in reality, soared after Nixon as the Federal Reserve turned to industrial-scale transfers of wealth to the rich in the form of subsidized loans, of course paid by inflation for the poor. The Times goes on to blame the free market for Putin's invasion of Ukraine— writing that, quote, the invasion of Ukraine has now decisively unmoored the domination of free market orthodoxy. As Cochrane notes, only governments start wars, kind of by definition. Same story with inflation, which the Times again blames on markets. But again, only governments print money. The rest of us get arrested for counterfeiting. Finally, it's the angry sky fairies who destroy crops and, quote, halt power plants. I did not make that up. The Times literally thinks... Weather shuts down power plants all on its own. The Times' six degrees of blame markets here is, quote, the market's invisible hand is not protecting the planet. It's worth pausing to note the abysmal environmental record of the Soviet Union, which poisoned lakes and entire regions of polluted barren land. In short, the world is imperfect and government makes it worse. So, according to the Times, we must enslave ourselves to crony, incompetent government. In fact... I'd argue the lessons of these past three years has been how astoundingly badly government screws up everything they touch. From bungled wars to crony regulations to the catastrophically incompetent FDA and CDC, the lesson since COVID has been that government has grown too big already. It has grown into a cancer that is eating us alive. However, of course, to the regime media, that cancer is an opportunity. This week, France has been hosting a climate summit that Reuters describes as, quote, a radical agenda to overcome climate colonialism. Yes, organizations like the IMF and World Bank are now openly Marxist. Specifically, the summit aims to, quote, shake up climate finance. By shake up, they mean redirect trillions of dollars to climate projects in poor countries built by crony billionaires. They want this so they can buy those countries' votes, to impose a worldwide climate agenda. These countries must be bribed, of course, since they'd prefer to use cheap energy like coal to get rich, as every rich country today did, instead of unicorn farts that cripple their economy but line billionaire pockets. So how much will it cost us? Reuters pitches $14 trillion to ease us in. That's $2 trillion per year. The influential Oxfam doubles that to $27 trillion, and the World Bank bumps it to $28 trillion. That's $4 trillion Per year from you all the way through 2030. For perspective, that is about double the annual GDP of the 1.2 billion people who live in sub-Saharan Africa. So where would all that money come from? The US share, for example, would be several trillion, far more than we spend on Social Security, with a similar amount for Europe, about half that or a third that for Japan. Well, that's what the summit is aiming to shake up how to squeeze the most money by hidden means. For starters, using the IMF's magic piggy bank, a Baroque system that requisitions money from taxpayers like you and converts those trillions into so-called SDRs that it then uses to bribe other countries. The IMF issues these SDRs. By issues, it means requisitions from your government, who, of course, pays with your money. The most recent issue being $660 billion it quietly stole during the pandemic to supplement the IMF, they're proposing a galaxy of, quote, solidarity fees, taxing things like container shipping and airplane tickets, by one estimate about $120 billion per year, to punish us for our climate sins and make everything... More expensive. The final piece, as always, is the famous public private partnership, where they nudge banks and private lenders to reroute loans from useful things here at home to crony boondoggles in exotic places. So if you are a small manufacturer in Wisconsin or a restaurant in Texas, Good luck getting a loan if this thing goes through. You are not part of the climate solution. Why are they doing it? Easy to buy those governments. Four trillion easily buys every third world country and then some into the green agenda with all their heart and soul. Sure, dictators know it's BS, but money talks, they are happy to play along for a price. You might ask, who pays all these unelected officials to do these kinds of things? And the answer is, of course, you do. The UN alone employs 44,000 dedicated socialists. The IMF and World Bank brings that to 60,000, with hundreds of thousands more spread across the world, all paid by you to go after you. How to stop them? Pull out. All these organizations are voluntary. We are a sovereign nation. One struggles to imagine any benefit the average American has derived from the IMF, the World Bank, even the United Nations. So drop out, defund them, and evict the bastards. Recently, I mentioned a $28 trillion climate fund for governments to reroute capital for political ends, starving the real economy. This is a much broader problem, and today I want to talk about Europe. As frustrating as the EU is, my favorite thing about it is that it can serve as a warning to American voters. Last week, Danielle Lacalle published a great article summing up the European situation. In short, Europe has the exact same problems we do, but worse. It is a canary in our coal mine in the move from free markets to state-run domination of the economy by politicized trillion-dollar spending packages. They used to call these five-year plans in the Soviet Union, but these are bigger and they come along every year or two in a frenzy to drain the treasury before the music stops. Going to the numbers, both the U.S. and Europe are barely growing, even going by official numbers. The latest U.S. GDP says 1.3% growth on the year. That's barely above population growth. Europe is much worse at negative 0.4%. Again, these are official numbers. So Europe's economy is basically twice as bad as the U.S. Meanwhile, inflation in Europe is much higher, running about two points higher than the U.S., And of course, in both countries, it's an open question how much the inflation numbers are cooked. So even taking those cooked numbers, Europe is doing much worse even than the U.S. Now, a decade ago, European politicians were talking about deregulation and structural reform to make their economies more competitive, which had long lagged the U.S. in per capita income. Today, this has been replaced with the same thing we now do in the U.S., gigantic stimulus packages that fail to boost growth, but tick all of the political boxes. Europe's most recent package has flooded out $2 trillion to, quote, rebuild Europe over the next six years. Now, you might ask, rebuild from what? And the answer is that they like that word because it suggests tearing things down and rebuilding them, which is very profitable for the cronies involved, but of course is also very destructive. It is not the digging holes and filling them up of standard stimulus. This is actually tearing down useful things like coal plants or putting farmers out of business, as in Holland, and then slaughtering their farting cows. By the way, one might imagine how else you could spend, let's say, $2 trillion in Europe. You could, for example, cut taxes for small business to zero, or for nothing, you could just repeal red tape on small businesses or make it easier for them to hire employees. The problem is, beyond paying good money to tear useful things down, those stimulus packages also hurt the real economy by starving it of resources called crowding out. To illustrate with the US example, during the supply chain crisis last year, there was a tremendous shortage of warehouses in Los Angeles because it was impossible to find workers in steel. Why was it impossible? Because the federal government was waving a gigantic checkbook around, hiring off those workers and even the steel to, say, rebuild racist overpasses. Remember, government has a planet-sized checkbook courtesy of you, the taxpayer, and they will outbid anybody, including small businesses who are actually trying to grow the economy. Put it together in the core conflict in societies between the people who use resources, both real and financial, to build a better tomorrow. And governments who steal those same resources to at best squander them, but more often to literally destroy what the rest of us have built. Where does it end? Sadly, I think the pendulum has a lot more to swing before voters wake up and end it. Tucker Carlson put out a new episode this week dealing with one of the most important topics today, censorship of science, which is one of the main tools governments now use to enforce their narratives. He covered the media onslaught against presidential candidate Bobby Kennedy for the mortal sin of questioning vaccines, which earned Kennedy an extremist label and got him kicked off two major platforms so far. The problem is that science cannot exist with censorship because the single purpose of science, its only value, is that it takes all comers, considers all hypotheses, yes, even the crazy ones like flat earthers. It fights them with facts and logic, not with censorship and intimidation. This openness is the only reason science has any value. To the extent it remains open, it is the battle-hardened Outcome of centuries of open warfare between ideas, each with a fair shot at making its case. Science has, of course, come a long way, but it's critical to remember how we got here. It was not prestigious professors or government-funded labs moving us forward. No, every major step was some whack-job tinfoil crank who was ignored or even laughed at. As Francis Bacon put it in 1740, new science has never come from prestigious insiders. It has come from the skeptic, the tinkerer, the questioner. Science writer Bill Bryson wrote about the battles of today's major scientific advances in 2003. Every single one, from plate tectonics to evolution of particle physics, challenged the settled science of the day. Each one was launched by uncredentialed outsiders. Darwin, for example, was a dropout who went backpacking and liked bugs. Einstein was a patent clerk. And each uncredentialed outsider was fought, tooth and nail by the scientific elite who called them pernicious or even dangerous. This elite pushback was so strong that the outsiders could only win because the scientific method provided a fair fight. And of course, those crank job opinions today are the new settled science waiting for the next crop of crank jobs to fix them. Stop that process and science stops. In fact, it goes backwards as governments take over. A famous example is from the Soviet Union, where Stalin's favorite agriculturalist, Lysenko, believed that freezing crops makes them yield more. The other professors knew this was bonkers, but they didn't want to get shot. And so Lysenkoism was implemented, of course, ending in famine. The lesson is, as soon as any given field censors one single opinion, it is no longer science. It is propaganda. Now, given that even credentialed skeptics have been demonstrably censored in vaccines, that field is demonstrably not a science. It should be disbelieved simply because it is being censored. And the onus is on them to prove it is open, to prove it encourages skeptics, even the uncredentialed or crazy ones. Of course, this is now true for a wide range of allegedly scientific fields, from climate change to psychology to gender. Any field that is censored is no longer a science. It instantly drops to gossip column level of credibility. Until they stop censoring, it would be foolish to believe any of them. Did greedy grocery stores cause the inflation, or was it Jerome's money printers? Corporate profits are down almost 400 billion from their all time high last year, but they're still roughly 200 billion above the pre pandemic trend. These past two years, politicians have been scapegoating those profits for inflation. Elizabeth Warren, for example, singled out grocery stores, famously the lowest margin business on earth. Still, it is worth asking, are corporate profits causing inflation? In short, no. In fact, it's the opposite. Inflation causes the profits for three reasons. Number one, too much money chasing too few goods, especially during the lockdowns. Number two, how accounting rules handle inflation. Number three, uncertainty cutting back on investment. Taking each, start with the big one, the money printers. The world's major central banks printed roughly $9 trillion to finance lockdowns, even as those same lockdowns were reducing the amount of stuff for sale. Supply chains were choked and services were literally closed. So you had too much money chasing way too few goods, meaning more dollars per remaining good. Basically, in the kingdom of too much money and not enough production, the one-eyed factory is king. Next up is accounting. A lot of inventory or investments were made years ago, meaning they cost the old price. So your haberdashery bought hats for $9 last year. Normally you would sell them for 10, you'd make a buck. But if all prices went up 10%, now your hats cost 10 you have to sell them for $11. you are now healthier as a business, you're still only making a buck, but you have a one-time accounting profit because the old inventory was cheap. It's a quirk, an accounting quirk, not some nefarious shift of the economy towards big hat. Now, this may sound obvious, but earlier this year, the Kansas City Fed put out a paper on the statistical correlation between inflation rates and markups. Markup is the difference between the price you charge, and what it cost you, these PhDs, either because they don't know any better or because they want to keep working at the Fed, came to the hilarious conclusion that the markups caused the inflation. As in, businesses spontaneously got greedy. The trillions in money printing was a coincidence. So they concluded that since markups rose 3.4%, inflation was 58 quote, markups could account for more than half of the 2021 inflation. Remember, the purpose of the Fed is to hide the inflation it causes. It's like joining a cult where you have to pretend that gravity doesn't exist and come up with increasingly bizarre explanations why things fall down. Final part number three is uncertainty. If a recession is on the horizon or say a lockdown of half the economy, businesses pause investing because they are trying to survive. They don't replace machines. They may not even maintain them. They don't invest in advertising. This cuts their costs in the moment which raises their profits in the moment, but of course it sacrifices future growth. In fact, early in COVID, investment plunged by 22%, and it's currently crawling along at about 7% lower than the historical average. That difference goes straight to accounting profits, but again, it's not making the business healthier. So put it together, and rising corporate profits these past three years have been a result of, not a cause of, money printing, with an assist from one-offs, accounting quirks, and fear of the future. So what's next? With both inflation and impending recession, it would not be shocking if profits rise into the storm, giving a false sense of security to markets before falling off a cliff. As always, nobody will have seen it coming. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to get next week's episode right in your inbox. And I hope to see you on Twitter or Substack. We'll be watching. See you next time.